Anybody here ever run through like a script in your head on what you're going to say before you actually get into that meeting? And then you tend to worry about, okay, I hope I say it the way I, I intend to say it, and it comes across the way I want it to be. Uh, students, you probably worry about tests and papers and maybe relationships. You may worry about getting a certain position in the band or the choir or on a sporting team. And so I think we're all aware we worry about stuff. Stuff happens in life that causes us to worry because we're not immune to it. Um, you know, when God was calling the Hurchin family to Stratford, we had worries. You know, where are we going to live? Um, we worried about, you know, is the Harvest Hill family actually going to like us? Um, do they actually want us to come? We worried about, you know, will the kids be okay in the transition? We worried about where the, the church that we were serving before we came here, you know, how are they going to respond when we deliver the news that God is moving us and calling us to go somewhere else? We we had a strange worry, and why did the pastor search committee choose to meet for the first time in a brewery? I mean, I was just, it was different. Um, saloon, yeah. Well, it had a big keg barrel as you walked through the door, so. <laughs> but, I mean, we, we worry about some big things. We worry about some silly things. We, we worry. And so you may be here today, and you're not in a stage of worry, but you may be here, and you're in the midst of worrying. So the word of the Lord for today is very practical and something we need to learn. Our focus this morning is winning the battles over our worries. Like I said, we'll be in Matthew chapter 6 beginning in verse 25. And if you notice right there in your scriptures, right off the bat, Jesus says, Do not be anxious. Other versions have it, Stop being worried. And Jesus is going to say this three times just in this small portion of his teaching. And what I want us to see this morning through the teaching about not worrying is the reminder we should have when it comes to worries and then four things that we can do in order to win the battle over our worries. And so let's read our passage and we'll walk through it this morning. So therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you, will put in, what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They will neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray together. Though we come before you and you know the battles we go through, you know the troubles we experience, you know the, the hearts in this room at this very moment, that some are captured in worry and anxiety they're feeling the pressure and the weight of situations going on in their life, and their family, at their workplace, with their friends and their peers. And so, Father, we come before you. You are the holy God 
our righteous Redeemer, the Lamb who was slain but has been risen from the grave. We come before you and we ask that you speak to us through your Spirit, through your Word, that it becomes living and active. And we not only just hear your Word, but Lord, we learn to apply it. For we know that no one in this room is immune to anxiety or worries and stress. So we want to trust you at your word, that it is, it is truth, because it is. We want to trust your promises. We want to trust your leadership and your guiding us as our good shepherd. So Father, I pray that you just move me out of the way, that it would be your wisdom that is spoken to our hearts. Lord, that I would not get in the way of what you needed to have done here this morning. Lord, that you would give us all ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to accept and apply. We pray that your kingdom would come and will would be done in each and every life, in the life of this church, in this community. And Lord, that you alone would be glorified in this time. So help us to continue to worship you in spirit and truth as we hear your voice speaking to us. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. So to begin walking through this passage about worrying, I want us to see the reminder Jesus gives us, and it actually comes at the conclusion of chapter 6 and verse 34, if you look there with me. Jesus says, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. And here's a reminder we all need to have as we battle worries, is that troubles and worries will come. The New Living Translation says that tomorrow will bring its own worries. And so Jesus has to deal with the subject of worrying because Jesus knows that in this life we're going to have troubles. And when we have troubles and trials and tribulations, what do we naturally do? We worry about it. We think it over. We ponder on it. We, we focus on it so much. You know, in the upper room as Jesus sat with his disciples the night before he'd be handed over to be crucified and eventually he would resurrect from the dead. He told his disciples this, in this world you will have tribulation. That word tribulation, what Jesus was telling his disciples is in, that, in this world you're going to feel the pressure. In this world you're going to experience distress. In this world you're going to experience troubles. But then Jesus doesn't stop there. He gives them and us a word of reassurance that when these troubles and these worries and stresses and pressures come, Jesus says, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. And so we come back here to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 34, and Jesus says, sufficient, at the end of verse 34, sufficient for the day is its own troubles. That word sufficient from the Greek means enough. Jesus reminds us, the troubles today will be enough. The things we have to worry about, the things we have to think about, the things we have to accomplish today is going to be enough. The pressures that we go through today are going to be enough. The things that are going to weigh upon our hearts today are going to be enough. They're going to be sufficient, and so we can only focus on today. He does not deny the fact that worries and troubles are going to come in life. But it takes us back to the Lord's Prayer in chapter 6 here in Matthew, where Jesus gives us the model of prayer. One thing he teaches us is that we are to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And so I believe the root of our worries come from the reality of this. We actually think we're in control. We actually think we're in control of things 
Because we think we're in charge, but the reality is we are not in control. And worries remind us of that when those troubles and tribulations and stresses and pressures come in life. We can't predict the future. Can anyone here predict the future? We're about as good at predicting the future as the weather people are predicting the weather, aren't we? They say we're going to need a dusting. We did six inches. They say it's going to be rainy and cloudy and it's a beautiful spring day. We are not in control. And worries come and remind us, hey, I'm not in control. I can't control other people. I can't control the traffic. I can't control how people are going to respond to me or what they're going to say to me. But here's the good thing. Here's the good news. If you're here this morning and you are a child of God, I mean, you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone, here's the good news. You are loved by the God who is in control. He is in control. You see, we know the one who has every day of our life written in his book. We know the one and are loved by the one who knew us even before we were born. We know the one and are loved by one who holds the keys to life and death. We know the one, and we are loved by one who reigns supreme, whose kingdom will always be, and whose words will always remain. We may not know what tomorrow may bring. You may not know what the next day may bring, or the next month, or the next year. But we are loved by the one who does. God points out our worries and trouble. They're going to emerge to capture our heart and to capture our mind. But here's the promise. We have a warrior over our worries. Since we're all going to face trouble, Jesus gives us four things in our passage this morning. When we're tempted to focus on the troubles, which are going to give birth to worries, he does this through three analogies or illustrations, and then he has this main teaching point. Look with me back in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? What is this, eating and drinking, your body and clothes? What are those? This is the necessities of life. This is what we have to do to survive. And the question at the end of verse 27, or I'm sorry, verse 25, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? This is, this is a rhetorical question. Jesus does this frequently in his ministry. Well, he'll ask a question. He'll pose something to the audience or the people that are there. The point of the question isn't for us to answer out loud, but to come to the understanding that, yes, life is more important than food. Our bodies are more important than clothing. It has to be. But if you're a parent, you no doubt face this question numerous times in your life with your kids. Hey, what are we going to have for dinner? What is there to eat? In our own household, I probably did this question five to seven times a week, almost every single day. One of our children will ask, what is there to eat? This last Saturday, Jamie went uh, hiking with some other ladies from the church and I was down in the kitchen, and our, our kids are like dogs because they're trained by the school about when it's time to eat. And so Ethan comes wandering down into the kitchen, and he opens up the fridge, and with the most unexcited way he could possibly ask, he looks at me and says, so I guess we're having sandwiches. <laughs> so I, I looked at him, and, and I, I about wanted to tell him, yeah, 
have a sandwich because I knew what I already planned to do for lunch. And so I, I was going to just let him go and do that, but I was in a good mood that day. And so I looked at him and I, I told him that, well, my plan is to take you and Abby to the, the new Mexican restaurant here in town. I'm not saying that Ethan was worried about what he's going to eat. You know, the only time our kids have gone without food is they've been sick. But we've been blessed that they've always been able to have something in their bellies. It may not have been what they exactly wanted, but they had something in their bellies. Here's what Jesus is telling us, because sometimes we can ask that question, man, what are we going to eat? And I don't know that we get consumed with worry about it, because we are blessed. But Jesus is saying, don't worry about the physical things of life. Don't let that consume your mind. Don't let your, your, your focus be upon that. And he elaborates on this lesson by pointing to the birds of the air. We have to keep in mind that Jesus right now is teaching outside. He is in an outside arena. So no doubt when he says the birds of the air, he could have pointed up to the things flying overhead and say, look at these things. That word look means consider these birds. Ponder on these birds. Think about these things that are flying over our head at this very moment. And he tells the people, the audience, he tells us, says, you know what? They don't worry about their food. They don't go out to harvest their food. They don't store their food in barns or in pantries. They aren't like farmers who worry if the crop is going to come in that year. Instead, Jesus says, the Father, the Father feeds them. And then he delivers another rhetorical question. Are you not of more value? Are you not of more worth than the birds of the air to your heavenly Father? And the answer is, we think about that question, is of course we are. We are the only piece of creation that is made in the image and likeness of God. The only piece. And so when Jesus asks this question, he's making them focus on their understanding of who God is. And he's teaching us a very valuable lesson when it comes to battling our worries. We need to remember the providence of God. Providence of God denotes the care that God gives to all of his creation in providing exactly what they need. And we see the providence of God throughout all scripture. God is our provider Beginning just in the Old Testament, we see the providence of God upon his people. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they were in, the, they were in perfection, allowed to be in God's presence. But they sinned in the garden, and, and so they were ashamed of how God created them. They hid, and they tried to cover themselves with leaves. And what did God do? God stepped in and provided adequate coverings. When the ten sons of Israel attempted to rid themselves of their brother Joseph... God provided for his survival, and ultimately, he provided for their own. In the book of Exodus, God sends Moses into Egypt to deliver and redeem his people from slavery, from bondage. So God provided the means and liberty, just as he did with us through Jesus Christ. The people of Israel plundered the Egyptians. And then what did God do? He provided the compass for them to travel to where he wanted them to go with a cloud by day and a fire by night. God provided the means that they wouldn't have to guess. Where, where are we supposed to go? What are we supposed to be doing? He didn't leave it up to Moses to make that decision. When the people came to the Red Sea, what did God do? He provided a dry highway across it. He provided them access into the land when they were walking with most likely over a million people. 
people out in the hot sun in a dry terrain. And the people, they cried, they moaned, they complained. There's no water here to drink. We brought us here to die. What did God do? He provided water from a rock. When God's people once again moaned and complained and not having any food, God provided the first Uber service. He delivered manna at the foot of the camp every single morning except on the Sabbath. He brings them to Mount Sinai and God provides the law so his people would know how to live. God provided leadership for his people. When the people wandered in the wilderness for 40, 40 years, God provided them protection from all the surrounding nations. When the people finally came into the promised land with their shovels and their pitchforks and 40 years of walking experience but no warriors within the camp, God provided the victory over the kings and the armies that lived there. When Israel rebelled against the Lord and were taken into captivity in the time of Daniel, God provided the means for Daniel and his three friends to excel. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown in the fiery furnace of King Nebuchadnezzar, God provided the shield, making the furnace more like a campfire with Jesus. When Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, God provided safety from the lions and made them like pillows. God provided the means for his people to return back to the land after captivity. And he told his people to, reveal, to rebuild, even though they had nothing, but God provided the wood, the materials, and he provided the people who had the skills to build it. For us today, before we were born in sin, God provided our salvation. So we don't have to figure God out on our own. God provided his word. To know that we actually belong to God as his children, God gave us his spirit. So that we can live in confidence, God provided his truth and his promises. The point is, you know, we can't control things of life, but God can. He can move mountains that seem to blind our view. He can destroy armies and knock down giants with a little rock. Because God is our source. He is our sole provider for all the necessities of life. And I think sometimes we worry because we actually think we're the source. We think the paycheck's the source. We think the company we work for is the source. We think the person we're in a relationship is the source. No, God is the source. When we think we have to win the battle, we have to keep in mind, Jesus is not saying that we can become complacent. He's not giving us permission to become idle. The birds that he points to they still had to go find their food. They still had to go out. They had to leave their homes. They had to put some effort into it. But Jesus' reminder, even though they put effort into it, even though they were working, it was God who took care of the birds just as God takes care of us because we are more worth to him. We are more valuable to him. If we ever question this, all we have to do is look to the cross and the empty tomb of Christ and know how valuable we are to God. In times of worry, we need to remember the providence of God. And Jesus drives this point down in verse 27. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? The reality is we can't lengthen our life by worrying Matter of fact, it's shown medically it actually shortens our life. We get anxious. We get stressed. We get depressed. We lose sleep. And even if, if, it, even if that didn't happen, in the midst of worries, you know what we become blind to? 
what is actually good happening in our life at that very moment. We've got clothes to wear. We've got food to eat. We've got kids. We've got people who love us. God has continued to provide us for us. Second illustration begins in verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into heaven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Here Jesus again is drawing attention to another piece of creation that is around them when he speaks of the lilies of the field. This would mean wildflowers. These aren't flowers that are cultivated. These are the flowers that Jesus' audience at this very moment are probably sitting on. I mean, can you picture there may be kids there pulling the flowers and pulling off the petals and trying to entertain themselves. These are the flowers people walked over. They didn't pay any mind to them. They didn't belong in a king's court. Yet Jesus again says, consider. Take note. Think about this. These wildflowers are growing and thriving, and no one planted them. No one's out here taking care of them every single day. They don't work to make their petals. They don't work to bloom, yet notice how beautiful they are. Notice how beautiful they make this grass field and hill look. I think it's a great analogy for this time of year, this, this time as we move into the spring season we need to go outside and we need to take walks or go for car rides with the windows down. And we've lived in a season where the trees have been bare and it's been gray and it's been sad. But then every now and then you'll catch a wildflower on the side of the road or the side of the highway popping up. And you'll be like, oh, because the color, the reminder that spring is on the way, it's captivating. Nowhere in Scripture are we told exactly about Solomon's wardrobe, but we do know he is the wealthiest and he was one of the wisest men to ever live. But for Jesus' audience, which are Jewish individuals, when they thought of King Solomon, they thought that is the pinnacle of a life that is blessed by God. He knows what Jesus says about him in verse 29. Even Solomon in all his glory, that word glory means in all his splendor, was not arrayed, was not dressed, was not adorned like one of these. Speaking of the wildflowers which were clothing the grassy field and he says, in which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown to heaven, which speaks of that grass. Why? Because God clothed them. So when our worries and our troubles come, we need to remember the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God speaks of his rule, his power, his authority over all things. God rules over the grass of the field to adorn it in beauty. And if God takes that much pleasure clothing the parts of his creation, which many of us are just going to be overjoyed when summer hits and we've got to mow at least once a week, if God takes that much pleasure to make it that beautiful, would that God not take care of us and adorn us in beauty as well? The God who clothes the grass of the field the wild, with wildflowers, Get this, he has clothed his children. Those who have placed their faith in Christ alone, he has clothed you in the righteousness of Christ. Perfection. Holiness. And we all know we don't always live perfectly or holy. Final illustration comes out of verse 31 and 32. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? 
or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And our worries remember the omniscience of God. The word for Gentiles there in verse 32 is to speak of, of pagans. It's to speak of unbelievers. It's to speak of people who don't know God as their God. Jesus says that when we worry, when troubles come over our life, we are acting like people who don't know God. We're acting like people who don't know the stories from Scripture on how God loves His children, how He blesses His children, protects His children, and takes care of them. Jesus says, verse 32, and perhaps we should underline it, your heavenly Father knows. God knows what we need. The focus we have, the focus there is on what we need, not what we want, not what we want to see happen, not the things that are going on in our head and our dreams. The omniscience of God speaks of God being all-knowing. And if you wonder, how do I know if God is all-knowing? We won't read it today. We've read it before. But you can read it this afternoon. Turn to Psalm 139. God knows everything about us. And if God were set on seeing our demise, get this, if God were set on seeing our demise, then why was he so set on saving us? The word of the Lord says in the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. See, God knows what we need, and we can rest assured that God knows what we need because God knew we would need a Savior even before sin entered the world. He knew we would need forgiveness. He knew we were sinners before we knew we were sinners. Notice in the illustration how Jesus points out in these three illustrations. With the birds, verse 26, God feeds. With the grass, God clothes. With our worries, God knows. It brings us to our main focus in verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Again, Jesus isn't denying worries. He is not denying troubles. He's not denying times we're going to feel pressure. But in those times, remember to focus on God. That's where the battle is. When worries and troubles come in our life, they want to pull our focus and our attention off the God who loves us, the God who knows us, the God who sees us, the God who wants to take care of us. We forget that God is sovereign. We forget that God is our provider. We forget that God is all wise and all knowing. And so Jesus says, when worries and troubles come, seek first. The word but that begins verse 33 can also be read as instead. So instead of focusing on the worries, do this first. Instead of focusing on the troubles, hey, do this first. Make this the most important thing you do when troubles and worries come in your life. Do this action above all other things. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What's that mean? It means to seek God's rule. Seek his reign. Focus our mind and heart on his authority, which will never be shaken. It will never be taken over. Allow our life to be consumed with God and seeking after his will. And then hear the promise. When we do this first, when we make this our priority, Jesus says, all these things, this is a promise, all these things will be added to you. Again, Jesus is speaking about needs, 
So let's not take this out of context that some pastors have. Jesus is not saying when we focus on God's rule and reign and we focus on God's will and how we should live a life according to his will. He's not saying when we do that, we're going to go win the lottery. He's not saying when we do that, we'll never get sick. He's not saying when we do that, the car won't break down. He's not saying that at all. He's saying when we focus on the right thing, everything that we need will be provided. Because God will provide it. And I've shared this story before. But we've got some new family members here at Harvest Hill. And it's something that God always has to remind me because Jamie can tell you that, you know, I, I do get worried at times about things. And I allow it to control my emotions. Sometimes I just get short-fused. I don't yell or anything like that. I just, <clears throat> you know, I don't know if you guys do that or not. But. And God always seems to bring me back. You know, it's, it's coming up on six years when, the Urchin family started talking to some of the Harvest Hill family. And during that time, um, we really felt God was moving us to Stratford. Even after we met with them in, what did you call it, a distillery? Oh. <laughs> we, really, we really had a piece about God moving us. And, and, and I want to say that there was... Nothing taking us away from where we were. It was a great church family there as well. Um, but we knew God was moving us. And if you think the Stratford housing market is crazy today, good grief. We, we made numerous trips down here, sometimes to spy out the land. And uh, Michelle caught us one time doing that. And um, we met with a realtor, and they took us to where this house online had a picture. And we thought, well, that's actually nice. And so he takes us to where the house is, and it's a pile of dirt. He said, oh, I promise it'll be a house in about four to six months. But we knew that well, that's not going to work. And so we began praying because, and, and, see, we knew we needed a place to live. And God knew we needed a place to live. But it seemed like we kept running into walls and we kept finding no's. And so we prayed. And I cannot tell you that we remained faithful and not worrying. I cannot tell you that our faith was always confident. I can tell you honestly, there were tears of frustration at times. And we were begging the pastor, search me, hey, if you hear of anything, just let us know. But we kept reminding ourselves. As God has stirred upon our heart that he says, you are moving to Stratford. We had to keep reminding ourselves, if this was God's will, and we're seeking God's will, and we're seeking his authority, then God will provide the need. God will provide it. And every time we thought a door was closing, God would throw other doors wide open. That is the God we serve, and that is the God who loves us. He takes care of his children. And so we trust in him. God knows what we need. And sometimes those needs are small things, aren't they? Sometimes those needs are just an ear to listen to or a shoulder to cry on. And God provides the right person at the right moment so we can just share our heart. Sometimes those are big needs. Sometimes the car breaks down and we don't have the money to get it fixed. Well, God knows if you need a car. He knows if you need transportation to get to work. And so we focus on him. We trust in him. Perhaps in winning our battles over worries, 
we need to underline this one phrase in verse 32. Your heavenly Father knows. He knows. There's not a thing in your life that is taking him by surprise. It may take us by surprise. But nothing that happens in our life has taken him by surprise. He knows our battles. He knows our worries. He knows our griefs. He knows our victories. He knows our burdens. He knows our needs. And the promise is he will take care of us because he loves us. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to know how can I have such confidence that God loves me and will take care of me. Well, I want to turn to one more verse. And many of us may know it. We may have heard it a million times. It comes from the Gospel of John. It says, For God so loved the world. The word world means all people. All people. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. See, we may be going through worries, but here's what God knows. God knows our greatest need is to be forgiven, to find salvation, and to be given eternal life, and be allowed to have a relationship with him. That is your greatest need in this moment. And if you have yet to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, It has not surprised God, but he wants to change that about you today. He wants to change your identity. And it's quite simple. The first step is you have to admit to God that you're a sinner. Perhaps there's things in your life you're not very proud of. Perhaps there's things in your life currently you're not proud of. That's sin. You know that you don't want some people to know, or when people have found out you've been embarrassed about it. That's sin. And so you admit to God, God, I am a sinner. And then God doesn't leave you in that place. Because that's what John 3.16 says, is that Jesus Christ came to take the sins of the world because God loves us. And so we say, okay, God, I'm a sinner, but I believe Jesus died for my sins on the cross. I believe he rose again to give me forgiveness and the gift of eternal life because you love me. And then the final part, what what God says we need to do, If you're in this place and you've yet to accept Jesus Christ, you are to confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess your need for his forgiveness. Confess your need for him to be in your life and in your heart. And so we come to this time of invitation. This is why I stand here. If you're here this morning and you've yet to accept Jesus Christ, I want you to come down and say, Pastor Mike, I need to be saved. I need to be forgiven. I need Jesus in my life. But maybe you're here and you're going through the midst of a trouble or a worry. And you just come and need to kneel before the Father and hand it to him. He's got it all under control. We just got to learn to trust him. I'm going to ask the worship peeps to come up and pray. I want to pray over us real quick. But I want to invite you to come if you need to come. When everyone else stands up and you need Jesus, come down. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you that you are good. You are great. You are almighty. You're the Alpha and Omega. All glory and power and strength and honor belong to you. You created all things by the power of your voice. You sustain and hold all things together. Father, forgive us those times where we worry more than we trust. 
Father, we want to be in your will. We want to be seeking after you. We want to be under your authority. We want to trust you. And so, Lord, you know every heart in this place. You know what people are going through. You know the people are, are in the midst of praise and on the mountains and the people who are in the midst of stress and in the valleys. And none of it surprised you. So, Lord, help us to focus on you. I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time. I thank you for what your Spirit's doing in each and every heart. And I want to pray for the individuals who may be here this morning who are not your children, who have not accepted your gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, who have not been forgiven. Father, your Spirit would speak to their heart. They would, they would be able to see that and understand that, and that today would be the day of their salvation. Forgive us if we failed you in any way. We praise all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand.